All Episode right. number seven of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. Hello again, everybody. My name is Jim, and joining me as always is my former hitting instructor, coach, professional hitting instructor and coach, world-renowned hitting instructor, Jake Epstein. Jake, my co-host, friend, how are you? I'm doing very well, Jim. How are you, sir? Um, you know, I'm good this week. Uh, I was just telling you off the air how uh, in Florida, and you are currently... Um, you're all over the place, but um, <laughs> I can't pin. I can't yes, pin. I am. Where in the world is Jake Epstein? But I was just telling you off the air how, uh, for me, things are getting a little bit back to normal in Florida. Uh, there's some good news, and um, uh, and with all the, uh, I want to bring this up to you with all the things going on in the world. I mean, people would love to probably say at this point, you know what, 2020, just, you know, just, I, I can't wait until New Year's Eve 2020, just get this year <laughs> over with. I do want to uh, pass along, though, some good news and positivity of the day. Uh, multiple reports are saying that Dodgers pitcher David Price, I don't know if you heard about this, will pay $1,000 out of his own money, out of his own pocket, to each minor leaguer um, who is not on the 40-man roster during the month of June. So there's some positivity right there. Pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Uh, was it Chin Chin Husu for is is it for the Rangers? Shin I'm to remember what Chin Su. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did the same thing a couple months ago, which I thought was awesome. Of course, Price did it after they are releasing everyone. So I'm not sure what he's. Yeah. Actually, then what a what a mess it is. Um, the minor league system is, and I, my heart goes out to those guys. I know how hard they work every single year and in the off season and. And to have that come up is, is a real bummer, but hopefully it's just a temporary thing and they, they will likely all re-sign with those same teams, you know, come come this fall. Yeah, the agents are for those players are going to be, you know, very, very busy. Also, I was looking at some film last night of some possible draft prospects, and I know you can't really get into it as much, but I, I was watching one left-handed batter, a high schooler last night, and I noticed the loft in his swing. Uh, what's your definition? When you're looking at some of these hitters, in your position, uh, who are amateurs, and you're evaluating them and passing along reports to your higher ups, what do you define loft as? I want to see if we're on the same page with this. Loft is, you know, what I usually see when I look at my uh, sixty degree wedge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can get that one in the air. Um, yeah, you know, you can watch guys take BP. A lot of times, and and obviously you can you can look at their launch angle reports too. You know if they're yeah. big leaguers, but amateurs and, and and some guys hit balls really really high for home runs, sure. and some guys don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my dad telling me that you know he used to hit these rainmakers, you know, these towering fly balls, light tower and power, he, light tower, and and then he used to tell me. You know, Jake, I was a two two fifty hitter, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, two forty hitter, and so you know, the the more I kind of dive into that, it tells you a little bit about how the how the ball is struck and and how launch angles are created. And um, I don't know if I see it differently than most, but um, you know, I have extensive background and 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 history and countless hours, you know, looking at swings and looking at results and and seeing what leads to those results. So, you know, if I think of a guy, you know, like uh, maybe a Cody Bellinger is a guy that would hit the ball really high. You know, he's right. a guy that hits it hits yeah. it high, where a Yelich is a guy that hits it low. Still both power hitters, still going to hit 40 home runs. Manny Machado is a guy that hits his home runs on a much lower trajectory than, you know, a, a guy that's probably going to hit, you know, 40 home runs and hit, hit 250 in the big league. So... Um, my I, I would say it has to do with you know loft would have to do with with launch angle you know what is an average launch angle but it all comes down to path you know it all comes yeah. down to what is the bat doing what is it doing early in the swing when it first gets going with the body and then what is it doing right at contact and a lot of guys that have a lot of loft um, on their home runs coincidentally also have a big rollover problem to the pull side okay um, those those two deals kind of go together so um, you know that's kind of my, my two cents without giving away why that happens um, right. uh, yeah but course. that but that's uh, yeah, definitely something that I look at because there's certain things if, if you're gonna be a guy that hits the ball really high 
high home runs, it means you're you're probably not on plane quite as long as a guy like you know Yelich or or like I said um, Machado. So what happens is your timing has to be better. Okay? okay, so if your timing has to be better, then your rhythm has to be really good. And then going back to your DNA, your vision and your response time has to be kind of off the chart. So it's not that somebody that has a small contact window can't be successful. They just have to be better at some of the intangibles. So you're saying, so loft is not a term where maybe some analytical type people and analysts may may scoff at and say, well, that's just a scouting term and it doesn't really lead to the next step. Loft actually does lead to maybe looking at and getting that light tower power looks maybe is is leading towards possibly finding out some other smaller issues, as you mentioned, the rollover and the swing, right? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be that, or it could be it, it could be a, a barrel dump, it could be a hand drop, it could be any number of things that cause the barrel to get underneath mm-hmm. the pitch plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and once it gets underneath the pitch plane, it has to do certain things to get back to the pitch plane. Yeah. And that, therefore, when you time it up, you can absolutely crush balls high and deep, but then if you're an inch late or two inches late, instead of hitting a, maybe a line drive to the opposite field, you foul up straight back. Yeah. So guys that foul balls straight back, usually there's you know, there's something to that. Yeah. Hey, we got great um, feedback, at least numbers-wise, of, of the listenership from last week's episode, our softball episode. And if you missed that, go back in the archives um, and, and take a listen. We discussed the softball swing pretty much uh, at nauseum. Uh, I don't think we missed anything from last week. Do you? I do not. I, I viewed something on Twitter uh, late last night, you know, of a, a female player, uh, who, who was it, Romero? I mean, they're like dynasty, you know, the two, the two sisters. And it was such a great batting practice swing. And it was, it was so, I've never really studied her swing, but it was so awesome to see what we talked about. And then, you know, her get, getting on plane of a really fast pitch coming at her on a flat trajectory and staying through it. It honestly was very similar to like a Christian Yelich BP swing. Yeah. You know, both of them look very similar. So, yeah, I don't think we missed it. I'm sure we missed something, but, you know, when you get old, you just forget what you missed. So well, I, I say we nailed it. Well, if, you, if we did miss something, and if you have any questions from last week's episode or things we talked about previously, be sure to email us at jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. That is jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. And don't forget, Jake and I are on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jim Tara on both platforms. Jake is at Epstein Hitting. Uh, and the podcast is also on Apple, Google, Spotify. We're now on iHeart. Uh, TuneIn Radio, the TuneIn Radio app, and Stitcher as well. We really appreciate um, all of the support. We've got topics lined up throughout August and July I mean the topic list is absolutely filled up and next week we're actually getting into some data but today we're talking a little bit about bat well, actually not a little bit we're talking a lot about bat path and hand path and uh, just everything that re- how those two relate to uh, the baseball swing I was doing some research last night on on the topic and preparing for today's show and uh, I do want to ask you uh, how similar is Bat, just just so we're all clear and everybody understands, how similar is bat path and hand path or bat path to hand path in a golf swing as compo- as compared to a baseball swing? Because you're a golfer and you talk a lot about that on the show. Yeah, you know they're they're connected, right? So the the hand is you know one end of the fulcrum, and the uh, you know the the golf club or the the barrel, the baseball bat is the other end. So. They're going to mirror each other at certain parts of the swing. You know, what you do with your hand is going to directly reflect, reflect what you do uh, or, or what the end of that, that object is. So I know with me and my golf hand path, uh, I get a little excited from the top of my swing and, and kind of throw that thing over the top. Uh, and what does that do? Well, that first move with my hands, which isn't anywhere near where I'm making contact, totally messes up what the ball flight you know uh happens after i make contact with that club i just kind of know what it has to do and then i have to correct things with my hands why because i'm an amateur and i don't spend a lot of time on it um baseball is the same way you know i I was doing annotations all morning 
um, for my for the Epstein Online Academy and uh, the players I did today what did I have six or seven and they were all younger guys they were all I would say 10 to 13 years old and you know we were talking about you know their vertical bat angle mm-hmm. and you know controlling that barrel and making sure it doesn't drop vertically too much on pitches that that you uh, you don't need to do that on so um, one of the one of the boys you know was was hitting off a tee and the pitch was you know at his thighs and his vertical bat angle was probably close to 40 degrees 35 or 40 degrees and in order to do that his hands were up by his face mm-hmm. almost like a cricket player would be only the cricket pitch would be lower right. so that bat was dropping that was the only way he could do that was to get his hands up that high so hand path is totally crucial because if we can keep a hand path as flat as possible from launch to contact, and obviously there's variations based on pitch location, sure. um, but if you can stay within about a you know a fist window, right, like a four to five inch window from launch to contact, hmm. then your barrel isn't going to have a big uh, deviation as it comes to the zone. Now, if you have a a hand path where from from launch and, and and I'm specifying launch is when the front heel lands and, and rotation starts to begin. Sure. So from that, if the if the knob of the bat or that bottom hand starts to drop down to the belly button, and then all of a sudden when they make contact, it's back up at the chest height. Well, what do you think the barrel is going to do? The barrel is going to drop down under the pitch plane, yeah. and then back up to the pitch plane. So I watched what the hands do. Nonstop. We do a ton of hands drills, you know, with all my players. We isolate bottom hand, we isolate top hand, we take the legs out of it a lot of the time just so they can feel path. Because quite honestly, path, whether it's bat path or hand path, because they are interchangeable. You can't you can't have a good bat path if your hand path isn't good. Yeah. So if a player has a good hand path or good path in general, they're going to make solid contact. And you know what? If they make solid contact, they're going to keep playing. And if they're going to keep playing, it's because they're having success and they're having fun. And if they have fun, they're going to work harder and they're going to be more dedicated and then they're going to get bigger and stronger. And then the power we can start to stack on top of their bat path. I forget what former big leaguer said it, but um, when you're having fun in the game of baseball, you are uh, again. I'm paraphrasing here. You're having a lot of success, and mm-hmm. I mean, baseball's a game of failure, which I mean, it's kind of yeah, in and of itself. But uh, there's a lot of things I wrote down there. Uh, one thing I want to uh, touch on. We've talked about it in previous episodes, but but it's worth exploring again. It's the vertical bat angle um, and the the barrel dump. How do those two correlate to an efficient uh, bat path and hand path? Yeah. So that's more on. You know, a, a vertical angle attack angle. So your attack angle is how much you're swinging up. Your vertical bat angle is how how, how far below your hands the barrel is. Mm-hmm. So a a hand path. You know, if we <laughs> this is somewhat complex, but that the hand path can still be pretty good, and you could still have a bad bat vertical angle mm-hmm. because of the angle of your hands. Or if you're not quite palm up, palm down. I mean, we're not always totally palm up, palm down. But if if our palms, like, the hands could go across the body in a flat, you know, fairly flat fashion from launch to contact. Mm-hmm. But if a player can't control that barrel because of strength or because of instability in their top hand. Sure. Or even in the bottom hand, they just kind of pull that that, that bottom hand up too much that could cause a big vertical bat angle issue. So even though the plane of the swing might be pretty good, they're swinging up, you know, whatever, 10 degrees or so, mm-hmm. that bat vertical angle could cause a real issue where they're still not making um, they're still not making good solid contact. So, again, hand strength, uh, you know, I remember, you know, my dad, my dad has massive, massive hands. I think there was one guy, and I wish I could remember who it was. He shook his hand, you know, one time, and it was like, hmm, okay, you're kind of in that club. Like, and I think it was like Harmon Killebrew. <laughs> like, but just, just some people. I mean, he has just, so his bats. Like, I can't even. I couldn't even like grip his game bats. Oh were God. so massive. Like, I don't even know how he broke them. Oh my God. He told me he he could break anything, but I mean, they were so big, the handle that yeah, you would think it would be unbreakable. But you know, having strong hands 
really allow you. And that's what they talk about. You know, guys like Steve Garvey had massive forearms, you know, and, yeah. and that, that forearm hand strength really does play a huge role in bat vertical angle and barrel release. And it, it is a very underrated, you know, everybody, you know, we put on 3D motion sensors now and build kinetic energy and ground force plates and yeah. yada, yada, yada. But the fact of the matter is you look at, you look at, Big leaguers, you look at Jack Nicholas, you look at Arnold Palmer, their forearms were massive. Their hand strength was massive. And and what that does to the swing, does it increase increase club speed, barrel speed at the last second? Does it allow you to make on the fly last second adjustments where you can still get to pitches? I don't know, but there is definitely something there. Yeah, they all probably uh, can do dumbbell farmers walks with 100 pound <laughs> weights on either side. That'll test, Absolutely. That'll test your forearm strength. By the way, quickly, I want to go back to what's the fist window, just to clarify on that. Uh, the I would say the width of your fist. Okay. So the, the width of your fist, um, typically, you know, if you put that up against your up against your chest and you can keep your hand in that four to five inch, maybe even six inch window, you know, across your letters, mm-hmm. that's where most of the time, the, the more your hands can stay in that window, the better. Yeah. Um, now that window could be in different uh, different directions. So sometimes that window could be, say, straight across. Okay. Sometimes on a lower pitch, maybe that window is, goes down a little bit, a few degrees, and maybe on a higher pitch it goes up a little bit. But it doesn't fluctuate in and out of that that window, okay. that that four to six inch window. Okay. How about a, a bar arm? Um, I, I notice that a lot in hitters uh, when they do have it, and it, it kind of, you know, when you taught me years ago. About having the the power V, and and that front arm being a little bit bent in your hand path and your bat path mm-hmm. and the bat lag and whatnot. But I see some sometimes, and I saw it with uh, no 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 disrespect to to him, but I saw it with Bryce Harper a lot last year when you in his first season with the Phillies, and I, I noticed in side shots that he he was barring out a lot in in getting to the baseball. Um. What do you what do you make of that, and how it it also relates to uh, bat path and hand path? Good thing, bad thing. I, I just I, I think maybe I'm being too um, too aesthetic here. I just don't believe that having that bar arm helps you um, in any part of your swing, but especially with our topic today in bat path and hand path. Yeah, it's definitely a a move you you want to avoid if yeah. you can. Um, Ted Williams barred his front arm. <laughs> So he was pretty good, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know. So so it's yeah. it is possible. Again, he's a very special special individual. I'm trying to remember. I don't know if I told that. But did story he do about, it? But he did he do it consistently? I mean, because he the, did it after. So he broke. My dad told me the story. He broke his elbow in I don't remember which All Star game. So he went into the wall in an All Star game and broke his arm. Mm-hmm. Imagine that happening and, today. And, and and after that, we'll have to look that up. But after that, he. He tended. To, he didn't have the strength in that lead arm, and he he started to straighten it a little bit, and so he had to alter. What he did was he actually closed his stance off a little bit because he started pulling balls, pulling more balls foul. Um, but there are big leaguers that bar their front arm. Um, the difference is when they bar their front arm, they don't drop their back elbow underneath it, which would cause bat drag. They may bar their front arm but their back arm, their top hand typically stays in position. And it'll usually happen on pitches further away. So like with Harper, I've seen Harper, and he does. He straightens his lead arm. Yeah. Uh, but on pitches middle in, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, He has the ability when needed to compress that lead arm, and that is really the difference. So sometimes when I'm doing my, my scouting work, I look for a player that on an inside pitch, they're super short to the ball. They're able to keep that lead arm really bent as they rotate through or slide their hands through. Howie Kendrick would be amazing at that move. Okay, there's a home run he hit uh, against the Dodgers last year. I think it was the Dodgers to like straightaway center field, and it was a pitch that was middle in, and he was so short to the ball because he kept his left arm bent and slid it across his body and didn't spin off of it. Right. So he has the ability to do that, but then if somebody threw him a pitch middle away, he also has the ability to reach that arm out. So yeah. I use the lead arm as kind of a, um, yeah, the lead, actually both hands. Is, it's almost like the backup parachute, you know, that we talked about, sure. right? If we, if, if we keep it bent, we can always straighten it. If we straighten it, it's going to be really hard to re-bend that as we're rotating through, and that pitch is 
maybe coming into us if it's a you know a sinker coming into us or an opposite handed you know breaking ball coming into us so you know the lead arm I, I wouldn't say it's an end all it's definitely not an end all to to a career it's not a catastrophic issue unless it's coupled with a casting motion so they they bar the front arm out and then the bat starts to work away from their head or they bar it out and then they drop their their back elbow underneath the same time. If that happens, it's going to be really tough to fix that. Yeah. If they just straighten their front arm more, maybe it adds an inch or two to their swing. Sure. But sometimes what it also does is it creates more tension in the wrist. So if you straighten the front arm, so golfers have a straight front arm, right? Because yeah. it adds wrist flexion and it keeps their arc consistent. But it adds wrist flexion. So a guy like Harper uses that as you know momentum for to to release his barrel through so if he straightened his front arm and he keeps that angle between his front arm and the bat you know close to 90 degrees or less so he's essentially hinging his wrists Mm -hmm. and he holds that hinge for a really long time he's going to create a ton of bat speed whipping that barrel through now if he releases that hinge too soon like a casting motion then it would end a career. So yeah. it's a it's a it's a very risky proposition um, with that lead arm. So then you're okay with that lead arm being straightened on the outside pitch? Does that I mean if, that, if yep. that's the case, does that show you though too that um, that he the, the the hitter is not letting the ball get deep on the outside pitch and not releasing the barrel from the lag position early enough? Or am I just could be. No, no, it could be, and it could be they got to cover that. You know, I mean, they got to cover that pitch, so they're going to start to push that arm out right. a little bit more. It's probably why we don't have as much power the opposite way, mm-hmm. right? Because that swing arc is shorter. Yeah, you know, it's because we're letting it travel a little bit more, and then maybe we increased our radius, you know, with our swing, so it's taking a little bit more time, and we're letting it travel. That combination is is definitely going to minimize our bat speed just a little bit. Yeah, and you've mentioned in previous episodes, too, I think it was in the absolutes of, of hitting one of our, our earliest episodes, which you can find in the archives, about how we don't have as much power to the opposite field because, again, another reason, we release the barrel earlier than we do mm-hmm. on the inside pitch, and we don't get as much whip. Yeah, we won't get we won't get as much whip, for sure. Re- releasing the, the barrel from the lag position. By the way, just to um, cap off that, that uh, conversation right there, um, to your point about Ted Williams, I did look it up. Um, in the 1950 All-Star game, he shattered his elbow, making a running catch into the wall to deny... These are these are Boston.com's words from Google, not <laughs> mine. Uh, he denied, though, Ralph Kiner. <laughs> there you go. Imagine that happening today in, in an All-Star game. Like That's like saying like Bryce Harper or Anthony Rendon or right. whomever. George Springer, they run into the wall in an all-star game and break their right. elbow. That would be, break their elbow. Yeah. That would in be. In their prime. <sighs> Although he was flying airplanes in his prime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. By the way, another – it's so great, too, when people say that Ted Williams you know, couldn't hit in today's game. Here's a guy who took what? You would know better than me. Three years off, I think. I think, game. yeah. I think Came so. back and still hit over 300. Right. Yeah. Got it. All right. <laughs> moving, moving on though. Um, uh, but oh, another thing too. I I wrote down a lot of thoughts here. Uh, your dad mentioning his big hands. Uh, there's a picture. Yeah. There's a picture. I'm going to tell the audience at the end of the show, and I got to send you it too. But there's a picture that I saw online of your dad, and uh, I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show. And it's going to back up his uh, just his body type and how yeah. you mentioned previous episodes of how he was a uh, college football player as well. Um, we're going to talk about the hand path when it comes to different uh, pitches uh, in the swing too, um, but I, I don't want to gloss over anything. Bat speed, bat quickness, and hand path, how do they relate, if any, if at all? Um, you know, if there's a detrimental movement with hand path, you're, yeah, you're going to lose a ton of bat speed. So typically the, the biggest move is a hand drop from the launch position um, or even before the launch position. And, and that happens due to sequencing of the swing, meaning a player is using their arms before their their body is engaged. So with young players, you know, we've had quite a bit of young players here in Texas this past week. We've had some, you know, because the kids are out of school, so we've, we've had a bunch of small group stuff during the day. And, sure. you know, a lot of 9, 10, 11-year-olds, which, you know, makes it actually a lot of fun. But, 
they they obviously have you know they don't have control of their their body like somebody older and and that's the biggest thing they don't know when to stride and, and so when when younger players stride they stride late and when they stride late their foot gets stuck in the air and they have to swing the bat with their arms before their body's in position mm-hmm. that in itself is a huge loss of power mm-hmm. because it would be like playing catch and bringing your arms forward before your front leg lands and braces Okay, so if you think about playing oh, catch, you step forward, you plant your front leg, then your arm sure. comes through. Sure. So imagine your arm coming through, you know, before that that leg braces. So I actually got into a throwing slump when I was in college. I think it was my sophomore season. I was a catcher, and you know, they're like, "Yep, what's going on, man? You get you got no no zip. Your arm hurt?" I'm like, no, feels great. Yeah. Like, you know, what's going on? And we didn't have access to video. So sure enough, like, the head coach figured it out. He's like, it looks like your arm's coming forward before your foot hits the ground. And within 30 seconds, I fixed my throwing slump. You know, so it's very easy when you're throwing. When you're hitting, it's a very difficult thing to fix. So, and when that happens, yeah, the front foot will land. Um, you know, I shouldn't say it lands late, but the arms will start to drop. So if you start to swing your hands and arms before your leg, your front foot hits the ground and braces, your hands will drop, and that is a huge loss of energy and power. Yeah, it's also, I think it's also hard to see because uh, with with baseball, uh, with a baseball and hitting a baseball, it's coming at you so quick. With throwing, it's a little bit of a, a slower and deliberate type motion, I guess. And and you're the you're the ruler of that situation. I can right. throw and release the ball whenever I want. Yeah. As a hitter, we're dependent on someone throwing to us. We're not dictating that process. So. Yeah. Hence, timing is so crucially important. Timing isn't important for a pitcher. Yeah, and, and upsetting not, timing is important for a pitcher. And you're not competing against uh, your yourself when you're throwing. You're, no, and, you mean right. you're competing at the plate with, um, with somebody else. When you're looking at at blast motion motion technology, is there a number um, that you look at if there is one that can tell you what is a good to average to above average to tremendous? Um, type hand path yeah it's a good question um very very if you have a short and efficient hand path okay there's there's a there's a a reading on there a metric called time to contact so that tells you the initial movement of the knob you know a, a fast movement to when it feels the bat hit the ball Okay, so that number, time to contact, most big leaguers at their front toes, when they make contact at their front toes, mm-hmm. would would be about 0.15 to 0.16 seconds. Okay. Um, and that was something, Jim, you know, years ago when we were using JC Video Golf software back in the day, we would yeah. look for that 0.15, 0.16 seconds too, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. I will say that, you know, it's a little bit different. You know, if you're a really short kid, Right then, it doesn't take you long to get from launch to contact because yeah. you know you, it only has to travel two feet, where maybe a fully grown person has to go three feet. So yeah. you know the numbers aren't totally accurate. I, I shouldn't say that they're always accurate, but you know I, I have I've seen kids with long swings that still have a pretty decent time to contact reading just because they're so narrow and that that path isn't as far. So what I look for is can we get it better? You know, yeah. you came here and you're you know. 14 years old your time to contact was 0.19 if we do this this and this with your hand path can we get to 0.18 or 0.17 or 0.16 okay now we're making progress right we're 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 comparing you to yourself and your body type Um, that's one they also have one that measures hand speed and there's also another one that measures the the rotational velocity um, of the knob both of which i've find interesting but i don't bet the bank on it um meaning i've seen people with really good hand speed Mm -hmm. that are really bad hitters and have really bad mechanics yeah um they're just really strong and they just flip everything through and i've seen players um you know that don't have huge rotational velocity numbers uh it's measured in g's in the blast sensor um We've seen some scouting with people that are like, oh, my God, I've never seen a number that high. And then I look at them on video, and I'm like, well, there's a reason nobody has, you know, nobody nobody has that player maybe super high on a list. Yeah. Even though they're, that, that number sure looked great and, like, out of this world, you know, there's there's other factors in there. So, again, 
I, it's not an end all to me, but it's another layer of information that we can stack on um, other technologies that are out there for sure. Yeah, and you better you bet. Well, you and you better know the metrics because if you if you don't truly fully know the metrics, anybody out there, then yeah. that, that you can easily be deceived. And it's the same thing too with well, somebody swings the bat really fast. Well, great, he has good bat speed. Okay, but how's his bat quickness? And that's an episode we talked about, of course, bat speed, bat quickness um, uh, in the archives mm-hmm. as well. Um, what about some coaching cues? Um, you know, going back to you know, throw the knob to the ball, or or <laughs> what was what was that? I don't even remember. Knob to the ball, man. right? That yeah. was like I, it was yeah. baseball first. The first day you stepped out of field, right? The knob to the ball and the throw the hands and and all, those are um, uh, terrible cues for hand path and bad path. They don't truly explain how the hips also are involved in in hand path and bad path and clearing the way and. and the hips lean the hands uh, what kind of coaching cues as much as you can tell me i don't want to give away all your your secrets but uh, what kind of coaching cues do you use nowadays um to help with proper hand path and bat path i usually use knob to the ball and throw the hands okay. you knew that was coming didn't yeah. you? you totally knew that was coming. <laughs> um <laughs> uh so let's Ep- talk episode about over Let, yeah. let's talk <laughs> let's talk about those because because that you, you you hear big leaguers knob to the ball right you hear big leaguers really say throw the hands okay i actually say throw the hands and i at some point i don't know if i'd say knob to the ball but i might say knob to the ball when the ball is 30 feet from the plate i will say that okay so that 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 is something that happens so when people say knob to the ball it's usually a guy putting a ball on the tee and they're like, you know, take the knob to the ball, and that might right. be a, a yeah. little much. Maybe it's not. I saw a clip of Juan Soto doing um, drills with his hitting coach. I believe it was in their big league tunnel. So he was doing Pretty it with sh- Kevin Long. He was doing this drill with Kevin Long, I'm assuming. It was like two years ago. How long was Long? I don't know yeah, if Long was yeah, there two yeah, years ago. Yeah, two years ago. Was he? Yeah, Soto was. Maybe a, it was. He was a rookie, or it could have been the assistant guy too. I'm yeah. not sure who it was, but or it could have been his crony. I don't know. But yeah. he was he was hitting the ball with the knob. The guy was throwing him side toss, and he was just poking it straight into the ground, right back to the guy. You know what? That might have been that might have been in spring training um, last year. Okay. I think that was in West it, Palm. Yeah. Okay, that may have been in spring training. Yeah. yeah. And so he's doing it, and it's like straight down with the knob, straight down with the knob, straight down to the knob. Then he starts working it more out in front, a little yeah. bit more out in front, and I'm like. I like this. Like, there's something to this, yeah. right? And then I think of Soto's full swing, and he doesn't do that at all, right? Like, Soto is a guy that hits moonshots, yeah. right? I mean, he's a he's a moonshot kind of guy. He's kind of a tweener, I would say. Like, he doesn't have a big, very big barrel dump. He's he's pretty awesome. But regardless, that's what he does. He takes the knob to the ball, mm-hmm. so that maybe in a game he doesn't take the knob too high. You know, I'm not real sure. I mean, we talked about. Uh, Yelly does that drill where he tries, you know, Bonds told him, right, hit the ball right off of home plate. Sure. Like, come in so steep and be so late that you hit it right off. So everybody has their own idea. So there might be a player that I said, hey, I want you to pull that knob straight up, right? Mm -hmm. And there might be a player that comes in an hour later, and I'm like, I need you to take that knob to your left toe, you know, or your front toe. Sure. You know, whatever it is, something crazy like that. So you have to treat you have to treat players individually based on their needs. Uh, that's that's number one important. I do think the knob plays a huge role in the bat, and I think that's over. Um, it's looked over so much now. I think throw the hands and extension. I think that is overlooked now. Everything is about turning the barrel, um, getting it down and underneath, and then using your shoulders to to turn through mm-hmm. and i'm i'm just i'm not um i mean you know that those moves do happen yeah um with some players but the hands play such a huge role in the swing that we can't forget about them because when a player uses too much body they just spin off balls and hit balls off the end and they're susceptible to anything anything slow away i mean like i said you can look great off front toss and look great on a tee doing that but yeah watch the best in the world like watch how the big leaguers prepare they didn't luck into it you know it's not like oh i'm just that much better than everyone else like yeah. there's similarities to everything that they do so i love watching big leaguers hit and some of them you watch donaldson right and he's a i'm gonna turn that barrel i'm gonna get that i'm gonna get that barrel down and i'm gonna turn it mm-hmm. 
And then I look at his game swing, and I'm like, okay, I see a little bit of that, but I also see really good extension. And then I see somebody like Soto, who's you know taking the knob straight down, you know, into the into the ball into the ground. I'm like, okay, like that works for him. He likes that feel. So you know, cues that I use typically, you know, my favorite one for hand path would be throwing a frisbee with your lead arm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you if you're throwing a frisbee towards the the pitcher's chest. How does your lead arm and hand have to work? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I throw that, if I pull my lead arm up too high, I'm probably going to throw it over the pitcher's head, mm-hmm. right? Or in over the, sh- you know, if I'm left-handed over the shortstop's head, like I'm going to flare that. If I pull it down too much, I'm going to skip it, mm-hmm. right, to the pitcher. You know, if I pull that lead elbow and the knob down too much, but if I pull that kind of right at the the player, you know, right at the pitcher's chest. I probably did a pretty good job, right? Sure. And if the if the if the frisbee doesn't wobble too much, right, and it's pretty flat to the ground, I probably didn't have a barrel dump. You know, I probably my wrist is probably pretty flat. You know, I have control over that hand. You know, to keep it flat. So what I do is sometimes I'll have my players. We'll play frisbee. We'll go out on the field. We'll play frisbee from our opposite side. We'll play baseball from our hitting stance not our frisbee stance and i'll have them take their stance i'll have them put the frisbee in their front arm and then i'll have them take a stride and try to throw that frisbee right at their buddy that's you know maybe 20 feet away and you would be amazed at how terrible they are Mm -hmm. yeah frisbees going all like i gotta spread them out somebody's gonna get hurt you know from playing frisbee so that lead arm the hand path is directly tied to how well your lead arm works. Yeah. Okay, so that gets us back to guys that bar, and you mentioned Bryce Harper, who's a right-handed thrower and a left-handed hitter. And we talk about um, uh, Ted Williams, who is a right-handed thrower and a left-handed hitter. You know, is there something to that? If it's their dominant arm, do they tend to straighten it out a little bit more? Maybe. I don't know, but point. they would play frisbee that way. Yeah. Yeah, you're <laughs> spreading out the kids. It's like it's like when they're trying to teach them how to play dodgeball. They hit each other in the face. Throwing frisbee is becoming dangerous. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything's dangerous nowadays. Yeah, but I think that drill is in the uh, first ever Epstein hitting video. If I'm not mistaken, came out a long time ago. I yeah, think the, fris- the throwing frisbee drill. I think so. Uh, just everything you, you mentioned, though, right there. It seems like these these drills. They're all. They've come to a point where they're all arbitrary, and this is why you're one of the, the best hitting instructors in the world. It's because you're so well versed. Where sometimes, you mentioned like Barry Bonds, for example, told Christian Yelich to do one thing, but he may be telling other hitters to do that as well. Uh, maybe that's why. I'm not saying all of them. I'm not saying they don't know hitting. Maybe that's why a lot of major leaguers who try to transition to uh, becoming hitting coaches aren't as successful because they're not as well versed and they don't understand that a lot of the coaching cues and these drills, they're just arbitrary for that type of hitter. Yeah, they, they, and it's, you, you always go with what works for you. I mean, that's just, you know, somebody asks you a question, you know, you could talk to any hitting guy. Well, you know, I mean, if they if they played, you know, oh, man, I used to do this and feel right. this. And I, I we talked about the loose hands drill that – to me made such a huge difference in in my my career when i got to pro ball and had to use wood bats it was like so i teach it to everybody yeah. you know if except if a player starts to do it and then all of a sudden they start doing something weird with it and then i'm like okay that drill's not for you mm-hmm. but i do think you know people that you know they have a feel and they have vast experience and hey i was the best at what i did you have to do it like me i think that's very common I, I think that's you know why not but then you have guys you know Mark McGuire I have a lot of respect for you know because when people think of Mark McGuire um, you know they think of this big monstrous home run hitting guy but if you listen to him talk about hitting you know he's talking about you using a fungo and hitting low line drives up the middle yeah. like that's what kept him sharp yeah. You know, he's not teaching guys to collapse their backside, even though, you know, he had a pretty good collapse of his backside. He right. couldn't even lift his back heel off the ground. He had so much weight on that foot. So, um, you know, that's a guy that that probably dug a little bit deeper with, you know, what works for some guys and what works for, you know, for him. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're probably different. Yeah. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about um, turning the barrel and how that relates to a barrel path and hand path. 
Uh, and we're going to talk about hand path um, with different types of pitches as well in the zone. Um, upper, middle, lower, outside, inside. But first, uh, let's talk about the Lab BCS. I got an email this week uh, about the new unlimited training membership. It seems like things are really starting to pick up there in College Station, Texas, Jake. Yeah, they are. We've had a really good resurgence here after you know our, our shutdown. It's been it's been wonderful. The people you know have, have have come back and and are excited and more excited and getting a lot out of the training. So we we had people that were like, and trust me, I would love this if I didn't have to run a business um, and you know pay for my my kids' college and. Um, food and shoes and clothing and medical <laughs> bills, then I would let everyone just come and hit all day long and just get better, you know? So we had a bunch of people that were like, hey, man, we just, we want to come and work out and hit. And, you know, we have all the fun stuff, right? We got a gym in there. We got, you know, VR. We, we got, you know, machine yep. after machine, breaking balls, fastballs, hit tracks, blast, you know, we have a full turf field. So... Yes, we, we had a lot of interest in that. You know, people wanted to come out over the summer, obviously. We're not telling anybody not to go to school in the fall and train with us all day. But, um, yeah, we launched that program this week and, and, and had really good feedback with it. And, and we're excited to have people out there and, and making it their own, right? It is it is their membership. It is their hitting club that, that they can they can use as much as they possibly want to, to to get better, and we're there to help them. Yeah. So again, uh, the program, it's limited to a special group, only 10 memberships available, um, and the typical training hours for unlimited members will be 10 to 4 p.m. Again, that's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday, and 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday. Is that cor- That's correct? Yep. That's what I have here it in is. the email. So um, again, if you're interested, more details can be found at the labbcs.com. Again, that is the labbcs.com. All right, continuing with our topic this week, hand path, bat path, um, the similarities, the differences. We've touched on coaching cues. We've touched on uh, how the blast motion technology um, relates to bat path and hand path. We've talked about your dad's big hands as well, big Mike. Um, but let's talk now about uh, turning the barrel. Uh, you hear that? That's kind of an our catchphrase in the hitting universe, the hitting world. Um, but sometimes turning the barrel takes away, I would think, the bat lag and getting that that bat whip. So how does now how does turning the barrel also relate to um, hand path and bat path and having that hand that proper hand path and bat path? Yeah, uh, and turning the barrel isn't isn't a bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like anything else we've talked about today. Knob to the ball, or you know. Yeah. you know knob up knob down whatever it, it has to do with the player and, and what we're working on sure. um you know i was uh i taught everybody to turn the barrel like put the bat on the shoulder well how do you think you get the barrel in the zone yeah. if you put the bat on the shoulder right you got to yeah. turn your shoulder you got to turn that barrel so it's a wonderful cue with with players that use their hands too soon in the swing it gets players back in sync um mm-hmm. it's how you would turn the barrel you know if you're trying to turn the barrel and you're adding very um, complex movements to it to the top hand as it relates to hand path, and you end up throwing that barrel back towards the catcher mm-hmm. um, and underneath the pitch plane. Yeah, to me, I'm I'm not going to teach that. Like that that doesn't that doesn't play um, off of a, a ball that's only dropping seven or eight degrees from a from a pitcher. Okay, and then it's less than that with higher velocities. So. Um, you know, turning the barrel essentially is a very good way, you know, and, and what we did is we put the bat on the shoulder with players with hand issues, right? If they have bat drag casting arm bar, we put the bat on the shoulder, turn the barrel first move, voila, get rid of that. But in doing so, we also add hand path. We also add extension. So we're not just turning it and then kind of releasing the barrel around and, and, and creating like a hook move. Um, by spinning our chest too far to the left, sure. we're rotating and quote you could you know turning the barrel, mm-hmm. maybe be maybe for the first um, oh I don't know thirty five percent of the swing thirty three percent of the swing, mm-hmm. and then we're making sure that our hands do the rest of the work to set up lag to set up barrel release and and most importantly extension. Now we don't always have to extend if we get beat. We're not going to extend. We're going to we're going to over rotate. If that pitch is right on top of us, we're going to use more shoulders versus more hands. If the pitch is away, we're going to use more hands. So, um, 
you know, turning the barrel gives you, you know, you, your lever is um, a little bit, it, it can't cover as much. So you have to really let that ball travel a long way yeah. to hit a pitch middle, to have any success middle away. And because you have to let it travel so much, your swing arc isn't developing any kind of, you know, energy. I shouldn't say any energy. It's not creating a ton of energy. So what happens is the difference between if you see a ball middle away, you got to wait sometimes three feet further, three and a half feet further versus an inside pitch. That is such a huge timing window. So it's very difficult to make on-the-fly adjustments with a three-foot window. When if I can hit an inside pitch at a certain spot, but I can rotate and use my hands more on an outside pitch at another spot, that timing window might only be one foot. You know, I can still cover that pitch. If my timing's one foot, now all of a sudden I can make better adjustments to that pitch. So um, that that is why you see big leaguers, you know, straighten their lead arm a little bit earlier because they're starting to use that arm mm -hmm. a little bit sooner. They're not turning the barrel as long. They're turning it still, you know, a little bit, the first little, you know, first couple frames of the swing and then they have to use those hands a little bit more in order to do that that's why it straightens out so basically turning the barrel is is it connects directly with turning the shoulders and at the proper time uh, you know in in the way that i the, the way that i understand it right. and, and i am i am not the the person um that created that term turn the barrel mm -hmm. so they may have a totally different and honestly i don't know who who did because um, a lot of people use, I see it all the, you know, it's used a lot. Right. I don't know who the the original one was for that, but um, we'll kind of put it this way: when I see that move being taught to, and and there's some some of my high school players here that that train with us have been taught that in the past, and as soon as we put, I mean, I, I put the put the hack attack at eighty for those guys mm -hmm. um, with a with a, a pitch pitch drop of like three to four degrees you know yeah. and nobody could hit it at 80 miles an hour and these are high school guys that are going to the next level yeah. um, but because they've been taught they get exposed and so that's the issue I have with it, it, it it's, it's I might not understand the whole turn the barrel thing mm -hmm. um, and I apologize if I don't but from the players I get that have been taught that they all kind of do the same thing and then they all get exposed on anything that isn't thrown in at like 12 or 13 degrees which just that doesn't happen at higher levels yeah let's talk now about um a hand path on on different types of pitches I'm sure I'm, the hand path is obviously different for pitches that are up in the zone uh, in the strike zone um middle at your belt and then the lower pitch at your knees. I heard this cue once uh, as it relates to bat path and hand path on a lower pitch. Uh, when you're taking front toss in the cage, a good approach to have, uh, and this is what I want to run by you, uh, is to try and hit that ball, that front toss uh, at the knees, try to hit that ball straight up in the air, just try to try to pop it up almost, try to get it to go straight up in the air. Uh, and, and in essence, you're, you're creating good swing, good enough swing arc and a good enough bat path and hand path to where now you're getting that, you know, we've talked about slicing the ball in half and um, I'm getting that backspin hitting it on a, on a line. Is that a good cue for a, a lower type pitch at your knees? No. Okay. <laughs> Look, I, I apologize whoever did that, but uh, no, I, I, I don't think I would do that. I mean, again, it depends on the player. So if I have a player that's trying to chop down at that pitch mm -hmm. and, and in doing so their upper body is tipping forward, yeah. yes, I might say something like that. You got to lean back and try to get that up. So typically if you, if you, if you watch video, game video um, of players, their power V is going to be lower uh -huh. on low pitches. You know, your power hitters might be a little bit different than this, meaning your 230 hitters with, you know, 40 home runs. But most of your players on high pitches, their power V will be a little bit higher, pointing up maybe over the pitcher's head. But a lot of times on low pitches, their power V will be will be pointing, you know, towards an infielder's feet. Mm -hmm. You know, a left hand. I've seen Robinson Cano where his power V on a pitch middle away. He's, his bat's almost pointing at that infielder. Um, that's how low it is, you know. So it, it really depends on on the player and the extension. Players that extend really well, typically their power view will be lower. Mm -hmm. Players that don't extend real well, their power view will be really high. Um, so for me, on a low pitch, 
I want that player to get in their legs more. I want them to recognize that. So as a, a player is going to recognize where that pitch is when their foot's still in the air, high or low, in or out. They're making that determination when the, when the ball's, you know, the first 20 feet that ball's in the air. We drop our foot at about the 20-foot, well, 15-foot mark. We're going to drop our front foot. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, they have time to kind of make that. So if it's low, you'll see them really start to sink down. The more they use their legs, the less they have to change their power V. Okay, so the better a player's legs work, so imagine a player that's very straight up, doesn't get very wide, they have to take their hands high on high pitches, low on low pitches, right? They got to drop their hands because they're not using their legs as an elevator. So players that are taught to um, get kind of, you know, players that get wide and low, Yelich gets really wide because of his long legs, right? he's going to really be able to sink down on low pitches so his hands can stay in a consistent window. So, um, you know, thinking about that window is what I tell players on a high pitch. I want your hands at point of contact. Mm -hmm. Your hands are usually going to be at your sternum. On a low pitch, you know, at point of contact, it'll be right above your belly button, okay? If you can keep them between your sternum and your belly button, I don't know how long that is. I have the longest torso known to man, so for me, it's probably like 10 or 12 inches, yeah. okay? But if, if your hands can stay within that window and you can use your legs and big muscles to support the really, really low pitches, then you'll be great. So we, we always use the, you know, I'll use the strength analogy of, look, I'm going to give you this 45-pound plate, yeah. and I'm going to tell you, you got to hold it for five minutes. Where are you going to put that? Where are you going to hold it? Are you going to hold it up above your face are you going to hold it down by your waist or are you going to hold it right at your chest well you're probably going to hold it right at your chest that's where we're strong and most supported with our hand path yeah yeah if you if you ever if you ever if anybody out there ever does in the gym um, bus drivers with a 45 pound plate where do you (laughs) hold it to your point you hold it right in front of your chest because that's where you're you're strongest Mm -hmm. and if you get that down towards your hips it's really tough right uh, Robinson Cano does a drill with Kevin Long, or did did a drill with mm-hmm. Kevin Long when when they were both with the Yankees. Um, and Kevin Long, who's now the hitting coach for the Washington Nationals, I think still probably does this drill. Uh, he put a net, an L screen or a net, whatever it was, right in the middle of the plate. He cut the plate in half and had Robinson um, swing it at pitches uh, from front toss on the left side of the net so in other words it would be like an inside pitch for Robinson Cano is that a type of drill that you would encourage for hitters to try and and do for proper bat path and and, um, hand path yeah I've I've done it I do it you know sometimes a different way I'll use just a couple tanner tees and and line them up on the outer half of the plate and make them stand so you just have to be careful so does he line them up on the outer half or the middle of the plate uh, he might be the middle of the plate. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, it's right. pretty extreme that when Cano and Long did that drill. So, um, yes, it's a very good drill. You just have to make sure a player doesn't spin off to get to that pitch. If you watch Cano do it, he really slides the knob out in front, mm-hmm. which keeps the barrel to the inside next to his shoulder. So he does it, you know, he obviously rotates. But if you do that with a kid, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just spin off and step in the bucket. So you have to be be cautious with that but no I, I think that's a good drill for for certain pitches mm-hmm. um you know if you're working on somebody you know trying to get to that pitch you know sometimes you just have young kids um not even young kids but all have high school kids that for some reason they just they just don't find the barrel right they find an inch towards the label every single time oh, like yeah. their eye barrel coordination is off so what i'll do is i'll do a drill like that and tell them look you got to hit the ball but you can't hit these tees, and all of a sudden it kind of gets them to maybe keep their hands one inch, you know, when they're pulling their hands out in front, it's one inch more to the pull side, and then all of a sudden they start to find the barrel. And vice versa, sometimes players do that really well, and we got to work on outside pitches. So, you know, doing drills from the side, you know, you've, you've seen people do front toss from, um, you know, the the left side or from the second base side, and sometimes you'll do it from the shortstop side, depending on the hitter, you know, to work on them staying closed and extending through it more. Sometimes those drills can be beneficial to that unique hitter, yeah. and that's really the key. It's it's not a cookie-cutter approach. We touched on it a little bit earlier in the episode. How about on the outside pitch, proper hand path and bat path there? So the hand path, you know, we talked a little bit earlier. You know, your, your first move is going to be pretty similar inside or outside. You're going to plant your heel. You're going to start to rotate your shoulders, and your hands hopefully move with your shoulders there. 
Um, depending on how far outside that pitch is will depend on how long your hands stay with your body before extending out towards the plate. So on an outside pitch, they're going to they're gonna release from the body a little bit earlier, limiting rotation. And so their hand path is going to be more out away from their body towards the opposite field than on an inside pitch where the hands are going to stay with the body and we're actually going to rotate and turn more. So pitches middle in, we use, you know, probably uh, you know 50% more body rotation than something on the outside corner where we have to use our hands a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, good stuff in this episode. Um, that really, I think that cleared up a lot of things with, with bat path and hand path, and it kind of showed the differences, too, um, with both. And it's, it's, it's why people talk about, you know, boy, that player's got really good hands, or boy, that player has really quick, quick, quick bat you know a lot of times those are synonymous um, because if they have good hands that bat path should be pretty consistent yeah yeah uh also um be sure to email us your questions um jimbo podcast 21 at gmail.com we are also on um uh twitter and instagram um get all the episodes subscribe like um leave a review if you'd like That'd be great, too. Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, the TuneIn Radio app. The numbers have been uh, very, very good, and the response has been great. Um, We're on Twitter and Instagram as well. Jake is at Epstein Hitting on both platforms. I'm at Jim Tara uh, on both platforms. Jake, there's a a photo, and I encourage our listening audience to go out. And uh, I have my phone in my hand right now. I encourage the listening audience to go out. And search this on Instagram. I'm gonna. Look, I, I took a picture of it. I'm gonna send you this picture after uh, the show today. Let's see. There it is. Okay. Uh, I, I encourage everybody to follow Lost Ballparks on Instagram. <laughs> there is a picture of a certain Washington Senator slugger at Seattle's Sick Six. That's S I C K apostrophe S Stadium. Do you remember that stadium? Six. Six uh, Stadium. I don't. You don't remember that? <laughs> no. I don't, I've never heard of it. Um, this photo was taken 1969, the same year that Big Mike, former college football player as well, hit 30 home runs. I think he was playing for, I guess, Ted Williams, mm-hmm. right? The Washington yep. Senators. Anyway, there's a picture of him. Um, it's on Lost Ballparks on Instagram. I'm going to send it to you as well. It's a really cool photo. I should have sent it earlier in the week, but um, yeah, it's a really cool photo, and I think you'll you'll really get a really enjoy that a lot so it's always weird you know i was born well after my dad well not well after but four years after he had retired Mm -hmm. and so i never really you know remember him as a young man Mm -hmm. and so to to see you know those old pictures especially you know i've seen all the baseball cards and i've seen a few pictures and to see a a new picture that i hadn't seen before is pretty cool so i haven't seen it but you got to check out if he's holding a bat in his hand I mean, you got to look at those meat hooks, man. They probably just swallow that thirty-five ounce bat like it's nothing. Well, I'm looking. At, you get a good in this picture. You get a good look at his hands, and you can tell they're they're pretty pretty big hands. Yeah. <laughs> big Mike. Luckily, he was a loving father, and I never had to meet the fate of those hands growing up. Oh yeah, um, he's wearing he's wearing a helmet, a batter's helmet. This might be. Yeah. I think this is during BP, and it has this. It's the same um, curly W. Um, that uh, that the Nationals have today, which is kind of cool yeah. to see. So that's uh, awesome. I, he has great I, stories of that team because uh, Frank Howard was on that team, and mm-hmm. what a monster he's! I think Howard was like six nine or something, and they used to just hit bombs. Yeah. I mean, those two guys—they had like a—I I may have mentioned this in one of the other episodes, but they hit balls like in the upper deck at the old RFK Stadium, and they painted the seats, you know, and they only had like maybe like 5,000 people each game. So nobody's sitting in the upper deck, right? right? And so at the end of the year, I think Hondo had something like eight or nine balls in the upper deck, and my dad had four or five. And they went out and measured them, and I think they were like over – all of them were over 500 feet. Yeah. Like just insanely big, strong humans that, you know – and they told my dad, don't lift. Yeah. Like don't – don't like don't lift. You're going to lose your flexibility, you know? So a lot of that I think is, uh, you know, genetics and, and kind of God-given strength of a lot of those old-timers. Well, looking at uh, looking at this photo, I mean, he's kind of uh, – I think you and him are the same height, right? I mean uh, – Yeah, he's uh, – I'm about two inches taller than him, actually. Yeah. So he's 6'3". Well, I mean, it looks like in this photo uh, – he didn't lift weights, right, back then. It looks yeah. like in this photo, though, he uh, – um, 
he does lift weights. He looks to be in great shape either way. Maybe he maybe he was doing and, a push-up bodyweight squat work. And he may have been, but he didn't <laughs> tell me he did. Uh, but he was he was he was so strong. Yeah. I mean, he was that's just, you know. I mean, that's what he went. He went to play, you know, fullback at at Cal and linebacker. You know, that was yeah. his deal and decided, "You know what? I'm going to go play baseball again." And so he walked across and they were making fun of him at the football or the baseball field. The football guys were walking back to the walking back to the training table and yeah, they were out there playing baseball and somebody popping off. Look at these big meatheads. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they knew my dad played baseball, right? I mean, he was yeah. really good in high school, too. And so the guy's like, hey, why don't you come show us how to do it then? Yeah. And so my dad's like, all right. And they threw him about 10 pitches, and he swung and missed at every single one of them. And then on the 11th through the 15th, he hit out of the stadium into the track stadium. Oh, my God. And that was about the last time he, he suited up for, you know, for football. So it's pretty pretty cool story and how, how things do work out. Yeah. Uh, next week we'll be um, diving into our first installation of our, our data series. We're going to do an, uh, just an overview of data overall. How is it useful for players? What real metrics are useful for hitters at certain age groups and certain levels? Um, how to interpret that data properly? And, and paralysis by analysis when there is too much data as well. That's our first installation of our data series, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be that'll be a fun topic next week for sure. Yeah, a lot of things we can dive into with that. That'll be episode number eight. Be sure to get the podcast, subscribe, and like. Again, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, the TuneIn Radio app, and uh, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Good job this week, as always, Jake. We cleared up some questions about handpath and backpath. I think. Yeah, likewise, Jim. It was a uh, it was a fun hour. It was always flies by very very quickly. It does. Thank you for everybody for listening. We do appreciate that. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you next week.